All right, so we're live. Uh, my name is Alan C. Uh, I'm the CEO of New Kingdom Entertainment. Uh, I don't know everything, but I do know a lot of things. Uh, I am perfectly imperfect. Uh, I'm a work in progress. Uh, today I'm going to interview a gentleman that I've known since I was very young. Uh, we worked together uh, a couple of summers. Uh, I was uh, fortunate to be to work with this gentleman. Uh, as, a, as my summer job, I, actually, I worked two summers with him uh, putting on plays. Uh, he, he actually uh, mentored me in, in that aspect. Uh, asked me to join the Screen Actor Guild quite a few times, which I should have took that advice. Um, I think about it now all the time. You asked me, you, you suggested that I do that more than once. So first we're gonna watch your uh, promo for your one man uh, show that you're going to do. Um, well, you'll explain it better when you, when you talk. Uh, but I thought it was apropos, this is Black, uh, 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 Black uh, History Month and you're doing Frederick Douglass, which um, I've been, I've heard some things about him recently. You know, we studied him as a, as a kid. I did study him as a kid, but I heard some things about him recently. And I, I watched part of your, your thing. And, and I look forward to seeing the whole show when you, when you, when you do do the whole show. So without further ado, I'm going to play the video first and then we're going to talk. We're going to talk. Let me play the video. Did I really make any dip that on my life? It's the progress and the compromise that I think about. Was there too little the progress justify the compromise? Now that perhaps the lesson of a lifetime. It's a lesson that I learned not too long ago. I thought I knew all the answers. Well, if modern readers want more action, that's easy enough. I have been chased by lynching parties, been whipped, beaten, shot at. I've had my ribs and hands broken, my skull fractured twice. Action! Ugh, I can give it. It's a terrible thing. A hard piece of leather.
emotional. He he really captured. I think it was good. It was good. He did that. What so serious? Yet he laughed too at the same time. He did it right, and uh, and he was right on point. People learn something out of tonight. Was it? I thought I was seeing Frederick in person. That's what's important. That's what it's all about. It's change. <laughs> I wish more people could have seen it. Right. And I think more people should see it. Yeah, this screen. Uh, oh, there so, we go. Yeah. Uh, so I was uh, very in impressed with that little promo, um, the makeup and uh, the whole presentation was, I thought it was very good. I Like I said, I look forward to seeing the whole show. Um, this is Melvin Johnson. And I've looked up for, to, to you for many years. You don't know I've been following you. You may not know that, but I've been following you. Um, your, the biggest thing I know that you, you did was um, uh, the moon thing. Um, um, Total recall, total recall, and I don't know how I found out that you were that you were in that movie, and that you pretty much played a major role in that movie, mm -hmm. but I've watched it several times just to see you, wow. just to see see you, and I've seen some of your commercials. Like I, I remember the Converse commercial that you had. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you did a couple of. I think you was on Fresh Prince and a few other sitcoms. Yeah. Uh, I don't know your whole uh, repertoire, your whole uh, stage uh, dichotomy, your, you know, everything that you've done. Uh, but, you know, we, we were talking. I called you up because I, I wanted to re see if you had any pictures from when we did our plays back in the day. Right. And, through that we got to talking and, and we we had we had uh, some some very serious discussions um at this time i'd like you to talk uh i'm gonna ask you some some other questions but i'd like you to talk now and, and introduce yourself and, and and let the people know especially people of queensbridge because what i what i found out and one of the reasons that i really wanted to interview was i i told somebody that we have a lot of legends in queensbridge and they were saying, no, we don't. Like, we don't have no Queensbridge legends. And I'm like, yes, we do. We have a lot of Queensbridge legends. You just don't know about them, and you don't really understand what a legend is. Mm -hmm. We have many legends, and you're one of them. Mm -hmm. in, in my book, you're definitely one, one of the Queensbridge legends, and uh, definitely Queensbridge old-timer and, and someone to uh, emulate and look up to. But do introduce yourself and, and tell people about yourself. Sure. Like uh, Alan said, um, my name is Mel Johnson Jr. Melvin, when I was growing up in Queensbridge, I grew up in the 40 side of 12th Street. And uh, I really, really, it shaped my life in such a positive way. Uh, I, the first time I was ever on stage as a kid, was in the community center there. I, they taught us- Oh, really? I, I didn't know that. Yes. I okay. took tap dressing lessons at the center. His name was Mr. Lindo. I'll never forget it. And uh, so, and my parents were there for 
years and years after I left. They were there until 1997. So Queensbridge really molded, you know, they say the formative years. Queensbridge was part of that. And, uh, and not just part of it, it was a major part of that. So I, when I went away to school, I, when I went to I went to Hofstra University, I went to high school performing arts. Did you? We're in New York City. Okay. Um, and uh, then I went to Hofstra University out on Long Island. And uh, when I graduated, I started uh, uh, doing, you know, working and then one of the guys that I grew up with was telling me about this project that they were doing with the youth of Queensbridge that QualiCap was starting in the summer times in which the kids got paid to really supposedly work programs, but they were doing, taking classes, doing, uh, doing work, doing workshops, all those things. And they asked me if I would conduct a uh, drama workshop. And uh, uh, I said, sure, give a chance to work with the kids in the projects. Uh, so I came back and my favorite, one of my favorite little stories is that I said, I'm doing a drama workshop and, uh, and we were in 111 and all the various jobs said, you know, who's doing what? They raised their hand, who's doing what? And they said, who's doing the drama program? And these old girls raised their hand and there were no guys. And then at the very end, they said, who has no program? progress? And there was this line of boys in the back. <laughs> they raised their hand. They said, we don't have anything to do. And I looked, I said, okay, I'll take those guys and they'll be in my drama program. And they looked at each other and they said, drama? Yeah. I was wondering. I was wondering. I know. And I said, what am I letting myself into? But we had an incredible time. We did. And I think one of the most important things, I don't even know if you knew this, Alan. I think I'm sure I told you. You know, when I agreed to do it, I said I was going to take the kids to a movie, take them to a Broadway show, and do a show. I said, and now, that's what I want to do. Can I do that? And they said, yes. So during the program, it's the summertime, you know, it wasn't all, you know, all work and no play. Took them to a movie. I think it was Cher. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. <laughs> exactly. I was, you know, I was trying to remember. It was Cher. It, it was Cher. Absolutely. And then the the play was going to be at the very end but when it got around time to taking them to a broadway show one of my supervisors said oh, i'm sorry we don't have the money for that i said excuse me i you agreed to do it and they said well and so i took it upon myself just to go to the head of qualicap who was had to have probably been this young black man now but he was probably in his 30s and i was you know right out of school and i said listen I agreed to do this. I asked for three things and they said that we can do it. And I said, you want to know some of the problems we have with the youth of today and always, if you tell them you're going to do something, follow through. No promise in the world, but if you say you're going to do something, do what you say you're going to do. And to this man's credit, 
he came up with the money and I took our group to see the Me Nobody Knows on Broadway. And it was definitely the first time all of them had seen a Broadway Absolutely. show. Absolutely. It was my very first time. Yeah. And I had friends in the show. We met them after they came out of the stage door. And the first play we did was a play called And We Own the Night. And it was uh, a young play. And that was the first time they'd done a show in the community center in years. They had not done something there. And we did we did that. And then the next year we did the we did the Me Nobody Knows, our own version of that. And uh, the show had the show comprised of poems with music. And I had our group write our own poems and we sang the songs from the show. It was great. And this group stuck together and came back every year. And I have to say, you know. I was just thinking of getting from point A to point B, and I didn't realize the influence it was having on most of these kids. I mean, you know, they went on to do some wonderful things. Witness Allen right here, you know, forming this thing. So when, and when he reached out to me years ago, I said, Alan, you know, do what you gotta do. You're doing great. Uh, a lot, I've, I've heard from many of the kids in that group. One young woman, I ran into her years later and I said, well, how did you do? She says, well, I went to Hofstra University. I said, oh, you know, I went to Hofstra. She said, of course, that's why I went. <laughs> I, I had okay. no idea, you know, it was wonderful. So, and then, you know, after that, I was fortunate to start working uh, first in New York in children's theater, then regional theater, then off-Broadway, then Broadway. And then I went to Los Angeles and started doing film and television, uh, you know, the, the, the life of the actor. Uh, well, what is some, what is some of your other credits? Uh, other, uh, were you in any other major films other than, than Total Recall? Total Recall was the biggest. I did some smaller independent movies. My first love has always been stage. When I was out in right. LA, I did a lot of sitcoms. Designing Women, Fresh Prince, uh, get uh, Hattie, Mc, Hattie uh, I forget what her show was, Give Me a Break. There were a lot of those shows. And then when I came here just recently, I did uh, Jessica Jones and uh, one of those, uh, I forget, just recently. Um, but I did a lot of Broadway shows. There's some of my shows in the, on the wall here. I did the Lion. Oh, okay, King. okay, okay. You, oh, you was you was in the Lion King too, right? Yeah, I was in the Lion King. Play yeah, I thought. You, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. So you know, and when you do a TV series or a TV show, you know, if your guest starts a week, the show's only going to last for so long. But if you're doing a Broadway show, you're rehearsing every day, you're doing eight performances uh, a week, you have a family that you're working with, you become family. It's a great, great experience. And uh, how the Frederick Douglass piece came to be, I was doing a show out in Los Angeles and I started directing out there. Uh, I did that show, The Rink, with one of the guys was on Seinfeld, uh, Jason Alexander played George on Seinfeld. Yeah. 
so I was directing him out in Los Angeles in his one man right. show. And another friend saw it and asked me to direct his one man show. And then he's going to say, he said, uh, I want to write a, a show for you. I said, really? And he wrote the Frederick Douglass piece. And so with that piece, I just, I've been doing it around the country. Uh, okay. And uh, they book it a great deal in the Midwest. When it comes here, you know, I, I'll definitely let you know, Alan. I'd like to. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. Introducing it. So we haven't done it here yet, but, it, you know, it's uh, in the works, as we say. Yeah. Well, I look forward to it. Um, aren't you doing something right now? Yeah, I'm hurt. We have these things called uh, stage readings of new pieces that everyone hopes that will, you know, practically every one of those shows on the wall started at this point where okay. you get together a cast, the writers, the producers, you sit around a table, you learn the music, you work on the script. And I'm right in the midst of doing that right now with a, a new musical called Hi, My Name is Ben based on a real guy who grew up on the Upper East Side. I do that these two weeks, and then I have a week off, and then I do another new stage reading for another musical called Every, Everybody Comes to a Lanes about another East Side uh, restaurant up on the East Side that Woody Allen used to go to and all those things. And the guy who's directing that is a good friend of mine, and. He had Newsies on Broadway, Grease on Broadway as directors and stuff like that. So that's, you know, that's how these things go. And uh, you never know if they're going to make it to Broadway, but this is where they all start. Yeah. All of them. Every one of these shows goes through this process. Yeah. And then it's a roll of the dice after that. If, if I remember, I think you took us to an off-Broadway play also. Uh, yes, I'm trying to remember what that was. Um, I mean, I can't remember either, but I, I remember because it was a very big distinction between Broadway and Off-Broadway. Like, it was like, down at the public theater, if I'm remembering correctly, when it was down there, you know. But that, that was my intention to expose you guys, to expose you guys to all of these, you know, to all of this. Because that's the way you know what's out there what's possible and you know i actually my two oh you know i went to junior high school 204 which which junior high school did you go to i i went to 125 for a second <laughs> they kicked me out my first year there in seventh oh, grade there. yeah they sent me to a 600 school because me and the same people that you were uh, uh working with during the summer Right. When we wasn't working with you, we uh -huh. was we was hood rats. We was we we was hoodlums. Oh, listen, listen, we I, was no. we was seriously hoodlums. And so <laughs> we, we we ran around and and uh, like I said, uh, my first uh, year of junior high school, I got kicked out. They sent me to a six hundred school, and, and for all intensive purposes, I never really went back to school after that. See, I'm self taught. It was really. It was really that was the interesting thing. All you guys hadn't chosen a program, didn't want to No, because we didn't really want to do it. We we wanted to check, but we really, we really wasn't trying to do anything. And you know. then you came along and, and, and I'm going to tell you, I was scared to death. Every really? time we went on stage, I was scared to death. And, but 
it got easier and easier. And like I said, I wish to this day I had joined the Scheme Actor Guild and went on some auditions and stuff like that. Because who knows where that would have would have led to. And you you suggested it to me more than once. I, I, I always remember that. And I always like say, you know, it, it, it's it's like um when I got clean, mm -hmm. I was a drug addict. I was, you, you know, being in the streets, I got caught up in drugs and stuff like that. When I got clean, one of the things they said is it's just, the suggestions that you don't take that sometimes, you know, uh, changes your life. Like, you know, it, you, you have to learn how to take suggestions, how to take direction, you know, and that's 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 part of being in the theater and everything, taking direction, uh, taking suggestions. And, and like, I wouldn't be doing this here right now. And, and I'm also in the music business. I tried right. to stay behind the scenes. I, I didn't really want to come out myself, but it was suggested to me many times, like you suggested, for me to join screen i was just it was suggested many times that i start creating music to produce I, I was executive producer but i wasn't actually playing no instruments or singing or nothing like that i was just putting people together in the studio which i still do mm -hmm. but i wouldn't have done that and i wouldn't be doing this right now and i became a pretty good speaker in narcotics anonymous but mm -hmm. your training your mm -hmm. beginning is what what led to that if it not been for you i might not have ever been able to do that i might not be doing this now I might not have ever done the music thing uh you gave me the courage somewhat to be able to stand out in front of people and talk because mm. i was a very shy kid even though i was wild i, I like i hit it by being bad as hell mm -hmm. but i was shy i was scared and i hit that by trying to pretend to be as bad and tough as as and i really wasn't i most of the guys i hang out was much better than I was much tougher than I was. But you know, I, I faked it till I made it, you know, and, sure, and you know sure. you know how you try to fit in and uh, peer pressure and stuff like that. And you know, we were talking about that um because one of the reasons why I decided to start this podcast, we were talking about the fact that I realized how real the school of prison pipeline is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How our kids are not being serviced like they should be in, in our communities, in our schools and stuff like that. We don't have as many outlets as we did. And, and I know as you did, and you're telling me now is the things that you did in the center that I didn't realize that wasn't even available when, when we came along, but we still had a lot of things to do. We we had PAL, you know, we had we, we had the recenter. We had Hank Carter, I'm gonna introduce Hank Carter. You remember Hank Carter, right? Oh, absolutely. He was really yes. close to my brother. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, interview him soon too. Uh, about all the great things that he's done and this is what I say about our community there's a lot like right now probably people don't even realize the chief of police of New York City is a black female mm -hmm. from Queensbridge wow I didn't okay? realize that no she is yeah. black female Thank from you. Queensbridge and you know uh, we have you we have uh, uh Ron Artis, who won a champion, an NBA championship from sure. Queensbridge, have so many. At one time, there were like 15 kids from Queensbridge playing major college basketball at one time. Okay. 15. It was 15 different different kids. So we've had a we have a lot of talent that comes out of, out of Queensbridge. If I sat here, we could do a whole nother show on that. If I sat oh, out here right now, absolutely. but but I wanted to discuss is how did you see the difference? then to now of what the 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 
the opportunity that kids have in, in our communities. I don't see it. I, I don't I don't see it. Right now, I have to pay anywhere from five to hundred to a thousand dollars for my kids to compete to uh, to participate in sports. When we was growing up, we didn't have to pay. We didn't have to pay. I don't remember paying nothing. Alan, just was, showing up. I was just having this conversation. I was saying when I grew up, you know, this is grew up in the city. I said I had listen. I had the best education that they had in the country because New York City at that time had the best schools. Now they still have the best high schools, but the way to get into them has changed so drastically. I mean, when I was growing up, busing was instituted. Yeah. I was going to PS4 and that PS4 like broke down. I mean, it literally collapsed, it was so old. And they bused me to 166, which is up by the uh, Museum of Motion Pictures up there by Kaufman Studios. I'm living in I'm living in uh, Queensbridge, right? I mean Queensview, and it's really close to 204. The museum is over there by 204. So they bust me up there, and then I went to uh, 204, the uh, junior high school. Now, it was just based on where you live. Yes, they insisted that the schools be integrated, so you had this, you know, you you were getting this education. So you, you went there and you had these, these opportunities. Then my, my English teacher, I wanted in the second grade, I did the second grade play at PS4 called The Rosy Cheek Ghost. I played Professor Gruesome. I'll never forget it. <laughs> Halloween. It was a Halloween play. So <coughs> I did that thing for, just for the class. It wasn't even on stage. Something clicked for me. And I knew I wanted to do this. I didn't know what this was. I didn't know what an actor was, but I knew I wanted to perform. And when I got to junior high school, they were doing school plays, just like they had sports. I learned how to play the trombone. There was music programs. Not, you can't, you don't have that now. That was, all of that was going on. And my junior high school teacher, I, did, I finally got into the school play. He said, you know, there's a high school just for if you want to be an actor. I said, Get, you're kidding me. <laughs> and, and I didn't even know what a monologue was. I didn't know any of that stuff. And this high school teacher, Mr. Rochelle, I'll never forget his name. He coached me. Just you know, that's why it's so important to have these guys. Showed me how to work on my monologue. My parents didn't know, and when I told them I wanted to go to performing arts, they said no because they thought I wouldn't be able to get into college. And this teacher went to my parents, came to our home and told my parents, they gotta let me go to that school. <laughs> I mean, so that's what went on back then. Yeah, yeah, you don't have that now. You, you know, these teachers, so, these teachers are so worried about covering their behinds. That's that right. They are not, um, my, my son goes to a, uh, a middle school and all the administrators are black. Most of the administrators in the school are black. As a matter of fact, the head of the school is, her name is Dr. Something Something. I don't even know her name because I don't really want to know her name because she pissed me off. We, we had a meeting and the way she talked to me and, and the, con the conversation, even though I had sent a memo before we had a meeting, 
uh, uh, stipulating what I wanted, what I wanted to talk to about at that meeting, she was very dismissive. Mm. And I was sitting there, black principal, black assistant principal, black teacher coordinator, uh, 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 parent teacher coordinator. And I was disrespected in that room. I was not, uh, 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 my concerns was not addressed. They were dismissed. Uh, she just said, we're moving on. And, and I'm like, moving on from where? We haven't even discussed some. What are you talking about? We're moving on. She says, well, we're moving on. You know, we're, we're going to talk about what, what's going to happen in the future. But I said, I'm here to talk about the past. You're all accusing my son of something. And they actually, they actually interrogated my son and made him sign a confession. Mm. Believe it. Like, I'm like, are y'all the police? Are y'all teachers or are y'all police? And there's a policy in, in New York City, what they call, and it's not just in New York City, it's all over the country. They call it zero tolerance. Right. In schools, in our schools now. And that's how they effectuate this jail to prison pipeline. Because mm. when we went to school, we had many different ways to get punished if we misbehaved. We, we got detention, we kept after school, we might be made to clean up the chalkboards or maybe even clean up the, the bathrooms. You know, uh, I went to a 600 school where they made you do a, a lot of stuff. Sure. And, but now it's detention, I mean, it's suspension or jail. Mm. Like, mm. like it's, it's, it's not everything suspension. It's like they are purposely trying to have children miss days and get behind and then you wonder you you wonder you wonder why they're behind. Well, you're suspending them for every little thing that they do. So they're losing days and days and days. Like my son's been suspended like twice in 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 a short span of time. This is his first year in middle school. He hasn't even finished the the first half of the year. Well, he did finish the first half of the year. They're back there in the second half now. But he he got in trouble so many times, so many little stupid things. And I was like, it's like. They they set these kids up to work a minimum wage job or go to jail. You either you either going to work a minimum wage job when you get out of here because we're not going to teach you much. We're not you're not going to learn that much here. If you're not diligent and your family is not diligent, you're not going to learn that much here. So only thing you're going to be prepared for is a minimum wage job or jail. Mm. They're not preparing these kids for for college. They're not preparing them for working in in the high school. I mean, to working in the in the real world. They're not teaching them skills. Like we used to learn trades, we used to learn wood shopping and metal shopping. Absolutely. They don't have they, they don't have all of that stuff. They I don't have you, nothing. You know, yes, they cut the funding. They cut all. They cut all. No extracurricular. But just like you said, I took woodworking. I took metal thing. I have my little. I have my little box that I made in junior high school. Still, you still have it. You still I have it. I have my little slide box that I had. That okay. I and I mean, and I still have these. I things. made one of them too. Yeah. Yes, with rivets in there and all that stuff. I mean, this, these programs. I own a trombone that my parents gave because I played the trombone in junior high school. I mean, they cut out the music programs. They cut out all the extracurricular programs. I the school system is completely segregated now. Back, you know, they're just it. It boggles the mind that this has happened, 
but you know it's just systematic symptomatic of what's going on all over the place and it's just really unfortunate i mean on the one hand and it's major queensbridge is located in probably the most valuable property in the city right now absolutely i mean it's the middle it's the middle of the city it, I, it, I always always used to say, because we used to walk, because we were wild, we, we would walk anywhere. And we could walk to Manhattan. Oh, we could walk out to Jamaica. We could walk to Brooklyn. We could walk to the Bronx if we wanted, if we, we, if we was really bold. And it's cent Queensbridge is century located. We're 20 minutes from everywhere. Everything. 20 minutes everything. from everywhere. I didn't want to go no place that wasn't more than one stop away. <laughs> I mean... I knew that if I got on the subway at 8.05, I would be in my seat at Performing Arts at 8.20. In my seat, leaving my house at 8.05. You know, on the subway at 8.05. That's how close we were. One step in that. And that's still, I mean, you know, these, I mean, if they could get everybody out of Queensbridge, they would. They would. Absolutely. I knew that. But, yeah. you know, they're working on it. It, it's, when I was growing up there, I didn't, get the huge sense well there was no real gun violence there was always gang. no I mean, we know. didn't we didn't we didn't have access that's another issue that 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 really burns burns because they try to say like kids are worse now than they were when we were growing up mm -hmm. and that's just not true even no. the statistics i've been looking at all the statistics on all these things that we're talking about right now and the things that they say are not accurate they're not true mm -hmm. the only difference between kids now and 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 us, we stayed outside playing constantly. We were, we were busy. We were oh, we, yes. we wasn't outside playing. That's we, right. we we were doing things, and we did not have access to guns like they guns. do now. We guns. didn't have we did not have that. And and even if we did, the thought of us killing each other, never. I mean, we would fight. Alan, of, I grew up my entire life in Queensbridge. Never heard a gun go off. Never heard one when I was growing up there. I and I'm older than you, so yes. you, know, you know there was a transition going on. Now they were fighting. There was you know there were the gangs and everything, but basically that didn't happen within the projects. It happened outside the projects. If you were going to go to St. Rita's Bazaar, you were kicking those guys behind. You know, or, or Astoria, or <laughs> right, or Astoria. You know, that. But if you lived in the projects, you lived in the project. You're part of the projects, and you know, and said, and there was no humongous drug problem. I mean, times have changed, and when you know, it was like like I was saying, the community center. I did the Boy Scouts there. I learned how to tap dance there. My parents were. You know they were really intricately involved in the, in in the in the Reese Community Center. I mean the community center was vibrant. We had concerts. We had everything going. Remember on. the African dances and stuff. The, yeah, the, the yeah. Mr. Mr. Francis, you know, Mr. Johnny, and Tony. they don't do none of that no more. They don't. And they don't do none of that. When we did our shows, that was the first time they used it in years. Yeah. They asked me where you want to do it. I said, Well, look, there's a stage in the community center. And the parents were free. We, they packed that place when we. Did they it. really did. They they really looked forward to to that when we started doing it. They really did look forward to that, and they really did support us. They really did show up. They so, really did. You know, it's it's 
it's convenient. They've got a subway in the corner now. I mean, yeah, on Twenty First Street, you ain't got to walk to the plaza. On no, my block, it's on my <laughs> block. Or, you know, on Forty Side Twelfth Street, I said, "What?" And every time I drive down Twenty First Street to get to my uh, house here, I turn to the left and I can see my bedroom window right through that opening over there by the subway because yeah. I could look out from my bedroom window to 21st street you know way you couldn't see anything but you knew it was out there you know it actually was my parents bedroom but i you know i really loved growing up in queensbridge i just i did too for me and for for all the for all the bad for all the bad there was so much good there was so much unity there was so much camaraderie like people really truly cared about each other and looked Absolutely. out for each other like everybody knew my mama Every, and i remember being little my father uh i was going to say you you brought up the boy scouts remember they had the navy cadets yes they had uh, uh well my father was head of the ranger cadets i don't know if you remember the ranger cadets that was my father charles cole's uh, uh billy uh, uh cap uh what they used to call him colonel bill Right. Bill, that was that's my father that's i forgot the cadets yes and 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 you know we had we had all all those things and you know back then i really didn't appreciate it but i look back at it now and i'm saying wow we we had a lot of stuff to keep us out of trouble even though we still found ways to get in trouble we had a lot of things to keep us out of trouble and these kids today just they don't have it they, they not, don't have it and when you that's why these community programs are so important. Just like you said, uh, are working together. You know, I wasn't doing it to, oh, I, got, I was doing it because I like doing it. You guys were gonna have a good time. It was summertime, we had a good time. We were being productive, doing something you guys had never done before doing a play none of you guys had acted before no. uh, and so and we did that act it out and we and acted it, out <laughs> I mean, you know and it's so interesting that that it should bring us together i don't know what possessed me to turn around and say okay you guys are going to be in my drama group and then went you know and it worked out i mean you had a good time we were productive and you guys kept coming back year after year yeah. That's why I, I, I'm so bummed that there's no pictures. And like I told you, the one picture that I have, uh, my daughter sent it to me not too long ago, and she cut everybody. So I don't think she did it, but whoever did it cut everybody else out the picture. Just got me in silhouette, oh. and I'm like, it is. It's no telling. You probably was in that picture. It's no telling because I'm sitting on the stage and I'm like acting up, you know, like clowning. And I'm saying, I know oh, Danny was there. I know Willie was probably yeah. there. I know Shots was probably there. You remember Shots? Yes. Shots was something else. And I know, you know, all these people were probably there, and, and I don't, I don't see it. Like, and and I and I'm saying, I know they I were there. Do a little research, you know, Alan. Taking pictures wasn't a big thing back then because nobody no. had phones, you know, and you know, you had to have a camera. It was complicated. It was complicated. It was, com- it was much more complicated. And I used to like taking pictures. But I, like I said, I think the friend of mine who built that set for us, 
took pictures. So I'm going to reach out to him. I just, I just got a little uh, a letter from him and his wife in Florida. They're in Florida, and I'm going to ask because I know he took pictures because he showed them to me. Okay. So I'm going to search for those. Or well, I sure, I sure would like to see some. I, I, I really because. Because I was a bad kid and like like I said I was a hoolum, I didn't take many pictures. Right. I because I didn't want the police to be able to walk around with a picture of me showing to me, you seen this guy <laughs> you know. No. That was that was the, the, the thinking. So I didn't take school pictures. As a teenager I didn't take no pictures. The only pictures that person that had a picture was my brother. And he's probably the one who took that picture that I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And he lost all his pictures. He had he had so many pictures of people in Queensbridge that it, it it was it was unreal all the pictures that he had. He still takes my brother Victor. Uh, he still takes a lot of pictures. He's still the mayor of Queensbridge. He still takes a lot of pictures with everybody and everything. Well, I mean, you know, and I'm hoping that uh, they stay. The Queensbridge is on an upswing. Crime is down. I, you know, I couldn't believe they broke through and put elevators on every floor. I yeah, mean, that's, that floor. was amazing. That was a major thing. <laughs> amazing, yeah. That was a major thing. Yeah. I, you know, I lucked out. I was living on the fifth floor, so I had an elevator on my floor, you mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. But um, you, it was, it, it was, it, it was really something. People were very loyal. They, they, you know, the old timers, those, those reunions that they used to organize in the summertime, I used to come back to them. I brought my parents. They were just incredible, you know, because everybody was loyal. We had some great people that came out of Queensbridge. Yes. I was talking to one of my friends who's in Atlanta, who lived on 10th Street, grew up on 10th Street before he moved to Ravenswood, his family moved to Ravenswood. He was the first black kid in the Air Force Academy, became a fighter pilot. Then went on and decided he wanted to be a doctor. He was the, he became the team doctor for the baseball the the Olympic baseball team when it was at the when it was in Atlanta. And then he came out and decided he wanted to be in the movies and became an extra. I just spoke to him on the phone. I told him he's I he's from Queensbridge. I, from Queensbridge. And he did yeah. all of that. Did and all of that. I never heard. I never heard of it. I never heard of it. Yeah, because he he, he moved when he was in like. Junior high school because we were we were friends in junior high school. Oh. We, you know everybody, everybody had a gang. There was the meatball gang. There was this they called them. So oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> my little get my little social club was called the Cavalier Social Club, and you know and it was just about throwing parties. I mean yeah. we all had parties, and this shows you how times have changed. I'll yes. never forget it. We had a party. Our parents didn't blink an eye because we and that party would be packed and when you left that party that apartment looked exactly like it did before you went in there and had that party i mean people just took i mean and you went to the meatball gangs party you came to the cavalier soldier club party you went to this party but and you went in there and you partied and the parents were absolutely confident that everything was going to be okay and it was. Yeah. You, it better be. <laughs> it had better be. Because there was no such thing as time out. Time out, your butt was kicked. With, I mean, when they talk about discipline, I laugh. My, everybody thought my mother was so sweet and wonderful. And she was. 
But in today's time, my mother and every other mother would have been under the jail. Are you kidding me? Absolutely. Hey, my mother used to, uh, it was times that whatever was handy, whatever was handy was coming at me. I was going to get hit with it uh, or it was going to be thrown at me. um, And and I deserve, and for the most part, I deserved it because I was wild. Oh, yeah. That was the other thing you did not, you know, as quote unquote, I we were, we were children, and I we all acted up. My mother, we had the belt. My mother had a belt that she took the buckle off, and if my brother and I were bad, she would ask the, either one of us to go get the belt. Go get the belt. Of course, we all ran to get the belt. And then, but my father worked all during the day. He was my father never hit us. My mother was the one. She was a disciplinarian. So my father didn't really know about the belt. So one Christmas, we got new bicycles. My father was a mechanic. He was a butcher by day and a mechanic on the weekends up at the SO They're working two jobs. My father too. 111, you know. So he was very meticulous with it and he wanted a belt to wrap around the spokes that thing that held the spokes together so there would be no dust. My brother and I looked at each other and went and got the belt. The belt. <laughs> my father cut it up, put it around there because he didn't know. He didn't know. <laughs> and when my mother asked for it, we went, well, daddy cut it up. <laughs> belt was gone. She had to laugh herself, you know. Yeah, we used to hide the, we used to hide the belts. We used to hide the belts in my house too. I mean, that that's was the, funny. That's really that was, funny. You know, that was one of the uh, funny things about the Medea movies. That I remember that time when Medea, that little girl, was giving him, you know, Medea lip, and she and he reached there and got the belt up. I said, "You don't give your parents lip. You didn't. I mean, it was different times. Different times." I Let mean, me ask you something, cause you just you just brought up uh, uh, Tyler Perry. What is your opinion of him? Because I, I asked you that because in the beginning, I wasn't too fond of mm-hmm. him and, and his plays and him putting the dress on and all that. And, um, you know, um, cause I'm going to ask you about James Chappelle, too. And one of the things that they, they say, like, when they, they make you put, the, they make the comedians put on dresses, to, you know, to some of their power away from them. They, they make them wear the dress. But as I've gotten older and, and I've studied and, and I've watched Tyler Perry move, like nobody made him wear the dress. That nobody, was his decision. That was, that was, that was his, he was creating a character. You see, I, I don't know Tyler Perry or Dave Chappelle, but I, you know, I know their work and I knew, I mean, Tyler Perry grew up just like everybody else. He was poor couldn't get anything done but he grew up the way we grew up he grew up poor I don't know whether it's in project or wherever and he saw that character so in his creative creativity and he was an actor and he only wrote for black people he did not write for white people so he that you see, I have to, you know, I have to get Tyler Perry that. I mean, you know, he 
only worked for us. And the humor, you know, some people will look at it and say, well, it's stereotypical, da, 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 da. but he said it, but it, this isn't Amos and Andy. Amos and Andy was written by white people, done in blackface. I am writing this because it is telling our story and we can laugh at this and because it's us. And, you know, because in the beginning, I didn't want to watch Tyler Perry because, you know, I'm Medea, you know, and I was going, you know. Oh, I'm, so you kind of felt the same way. Yeah, in the beginning, because I'm not a huge comedy fan, but I didn't understand his backstory. I just didn't like Medea. I didn't like the idea. I said, what is, you know, drag, blah, blah, blah. But he, that's a character that really works that absolutely we, absolutely that we and 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 it and it'll, it'll wear on it'll it'll wear on you it, like i like medea now i and oh, i yes. like that i liked what he did with it i like what he's doing i like all the black people doing, he put to work and with that's, that and that's what he did so what he did was Medea became very popular among the black folks. White producers wanted nothing to do with Tyler Perry. Nothing. Yeah, so at first. <laughs> at first. So, you know, but he had to have distribution. You know, you can make all you want. If you ain't getting it in the theaters, that's the whole thing. So he had to, nobody wanted, because he was doing it all. He was, you know, you know, writing it, gathering it. It's all black. It's black story. Da, da, no white. Well, people. his first plays, he he put on his his self. He That's was living right. in his car. And his, he living in his car. And then when he started making these videos, he was selling them from his car. And then he was building up the thing. He couldn't get on Broadway. He was doing it at the Beacon Theater. You know, he was taking his shows around. And then Lionsgate which was at this time, not even a second rate company. They were like his last call. He went to Lionsgate. He heard this company would distribute, you know, distribute. And they decided to distribute his first movie. And it became a mega hit. And Lionsgate became all of a sudden a viable thing. And then all these other companies then said, Tyler Perry, he goes, are you kidding me? Yeah, now everybody wants to jump on I'm going to stay with Lionsgate to distribute my movies. And then they became so sick. Every one of his films opened at number one with black audiences for spending their money and making it number one in the box office. And then white people, of course, always want to come see it. Of you course. Know, you know that. And then, but what did he then do again? Went to Atlanta and has built one of the biggest studios. To it's incredible. It's, in, it's in, incredible. It's in, what he has accomplished is incredible. Incredible. Really, and every really one of those studios are named after a black famous entertainer person. Harry Belafonte, Gerald, da, 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 da. And big sound stages that big things can be done. You just you just brought us something else. Um, we just lost Sidney Poitier. Just lost Sidney. What a what what a towering. I mean, what he was my 
idea when I was growing up. I mean, whenever he came out of, and I'll, like I said, I'll never forget when I was a kid and he won that Academy Award. You weren't even an idea in your mother's. Uh, was that for Mr. Tibbs? No, it was for the Lilies of the Field. Oh, oh, Lily of Fields. That's right. That's Lilies right. of the Field. And right. so, you know, it was a big thing that a black person was nominated. And then I was living in Queensbridge, kid. And the Academy Awards were in the summertime at the time. And when he won the Academy Award, you could hear through the windows, the yell <laughs> went up in Queensbridge. Because every one of us was watching to see what was going on. Absolutely. And he was sitting there by himself. And not another black person in that audience. <laughs> and and he was I was reading his biography, vitally aware of the roles that he chose and how he represented himself. Absolutely. You I mean you could Keenly tell vitally aware. Hmm? Yeah, I said you could tell he had a regalness about himself, like you know, uh, like I, I, I'll never forget, like Mr. Tibbs. Like I say, you say, That's call, right. call me Mr. Tibbs. Like yeah, yeah, the yeah. way what he. What they call you? But what do they call you? For? <laughs> they call me Mr. Mr. Tibbs. Tibbs. That's what you call me, Mr. Tibbs. You yeah, know, it, it's just his bearing was was just just phenomenal. Now let me ask you a question. <clears throat> so, are you familiar with the controversy with Dave Chappelle? I am. I did not see what they were talking about. Like you didn't said, see his. You didn't see his last show. No, I didn't see his last show. I am okay. not a big stand-up comedian fan. You know, black, white, blue, green. It's just not my genre. So, I didn't see it. So, just in a short thing, tell me what it was about. I don't even know. Okay, what so my take on it is, he did some transgender jokes, mm -hmm. and. He did him. He did him in another show, and he got a lot of backlash for it. So he doubled down on his last show, and he did. He did some more of them, and he tried to explain to people. It was like nobody was trying to hear, because they were saying you're not being funny. You're you're trying to be a teacher or whatever, you know. And I'm like, okay, when you're a comedian, you're kind of both. You 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 need to be funny, but you need to be telling a story. You need to be, you know. You need to have a dialogue that 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 goes somewhere that that says something for you to be for, like for me to be successful. And he tried to explain to people. He says, when I was doing all these nigger jokes, mm -hmm. nigger 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 this nigger that, and and let's be plain. When you say nigger, that's black people. You're talking about black people. You say nigger, you're talking about black person. Nobody said anything. He was the biggest hit on, on, on Comedy Central. He was the biggest hit in the world. Nobody had nothing to say. They didn't try to cancel him. But the minute he started making jokes about gay people and transgender, he got all this backlash. And he's saying, I don't, I don't understand it. Why don't y'all have that energy when I'm saying these nigga jokes? Like, like when I'm making jokes about black folks, it's okay. And that's part of the reason why he left. You know, he he put that he left that money on the table with Comedy Central because they were pushing him to do more nigger jokes. Mm -hmm. You know, as a matter of fact, do basically do them exclusively. And he says he realized it came a time when he realized they were no longer laughing with him; they started to laugh at him. 
That has always been the way. I mean, I like I said, I didn't see it, so I can't judge on that. But what you've described is what the history of black comedy has always been. I, I don't. I I was up in this at this week comedy week upstate New York, and they happened to have the black woman who's on Saturday Night Live is a regular now, and the black film critic for public radio, and so public television. I forget his name or and her name because I'm not a comedy guy, but it was fascinating to hear her talk, and he did a talk, like a TED talk, on black comedians on television, black comedy on television, historic, historically talking about it. And, you know, they, these were black actors that were actors. So when, you know, started out with Amos and Andy, radio, white people. You can't put white folks on black in blackface on television. So they got black actors to do it in the beginning. That was the first time I'd ever seen a black person on television. Amos and Andy. <laughs> and we watched it. Fuck, we knew it was outrageous. But again, you know, that was forerunner of Medea. That's what we were watching. However, that was still the white person's view of black people. So you went through that. You went through Beulah. You went through, you know, everybody was a maid or a lightning or step and fetch it and in the movies and da 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 da. The first real change was Julia with Diane Carroll. Absolutely. Came on there. Yeah. And the white people, the first words out of their mouths was, oh, that's unrealistic. They said that, but they didn't say that when Marlo Thomas was doing this, that girl on television, an unemployed actress living in a, this Upper East Side apartment. They didn't say anything about that <laughs> as a nurse. Oh, well, that's unrealistic that she's going to be able to take her, you know, but that's, you know, that's, that's what's going on. And they went through, you know, the shows. And when it got to the 70s, when there were all, all of those black shows on television, us comedians, comedies. He, he didn't do them all. He picked out certain ones. And he did Good Times. Now, Good Times was supposed to take place in the projects, in Queensbridge, let's say. And everyone, Estelle Esterol was the focus behind that. She was the one that got that done because she was a spinoff from Maud. She was Maud's maid. And that's how she came to have her own show because she was that popular. So she goes, I'm only going to do this if we have a complete black family. Working father, mother, the whole thing. This is Norman Lear, a white man. Yeah. All the writers, white. So they started out that way. And this is, you know, I knew that, but then they brought on J.J. Walker, Dynamite. A clown. clown. A clown. They brought on the Step and Fetch It character. And 
white people just love that. Oh yeah. John Amos quit the show. And then ultimately Esther Roll quit the show. I mean, you know, nothing against JJ Roy, he's just trying to make it up. But he yeah, was he's not just an doing, actor. Yeah. You know, but they showed clips where he was literally wait just waiting for him to deliver his his comedy line because he wasn't he wasn't acting he was just waiting to come in and i just i couldn't watch it i just couldn't watch it because you had all these great actors out there creating these great characters and you had jj just waiting to say dynamite and white people just loving it so you know so you have that and it's interesting they have this documentary on bill cosby now that i haven't watched yet and I was not a, a huge fan of his long before this. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, go ahead, go ahead. I, just, I met him personally, and I just got a you know a bad he, vibe. He was too full of himself, and I just like uh, you know. Well, yeah. at one time he was he was he was but that dude. What he did <coughs> on television cannot be denied. No, you can't. Cannot <laughs> be denied. And that's that's the crazy that's the crazy thing about it seems with with with, with our celebrities like it seems like early in their careers they're one type of person and then later in their careers it's like they forget where they came from and who well, they are. You know, people get power and they think that you know and he was of a different time when everybody was getting away with it. You know, all these people are falling now. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, not just because we have all these people, you know, people. In power. But they ain't all going to jail. That's right. Well, if they didn't throw Harvey Weinstein in jail, they better not have thrown Bill Cosby in jail without throwing Harvey Weinstein in jail first. I mean, you know, he was he was because let me let me say this. I, I don't want to cut you off, but I, I have like a strong feeling towards Bill Cosby because I, I I didn't like his cornbread speech. I didn't like the fact, and then come to find out, you were saying we're not living up to the bargain, and you were doing what you were doing. Uh, you know, I have I have, a, know, I have a serious see, problem was, with that. He was so sanctimonious with his crap, uh, and then doing what he was doing. Yeah, you know, and so, but you see, I got that from him. But he was able to get it done, and then, yeah, he did. Do, you know, he, he, you know, I'm sure Tyler Perry learned by watching what he. Yeah, did he brought. Wrong. You can't take take away from that. He 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 definitely brought a very positive image. Yeah, of, because of, when in the '80s when he was doing it, he was the number one TV show on television, not just absolutely. on absolutely on television. Period. Period. Full stop. Showing a family that, you know, white people just didn't believe black people did that. So it wasn't that, you know, good times was, yes, we grew up in the projects, but there were a whole bunch of black people that grew up just like the customers. You know, a huge group of people that white people don't like to acknowledge. So it's the main. It's the main. It's the mainstream. It's it's the mainstream media. It, it's like it's ridiculous what how they manipulate uh, 
us and manipulate situations. And if you if you're not reading between the lines, if you're not digging down deeper, you really won't know what's going on. That's and, right. And I, I sit back and, and and like I watch people. I'm on Facebook a lot, uh, watching people's comments because I'm trying to figure out how people think. Mm-hmm. And and it's just like. I have an issue with the, the vaccine. I, I'm not trying to tell anybody what they should do or shouldn't do concerning the vaccine. But my thing is, if you grew up here in the United States and you went to school here, you were vaccinated. You were vaccinated for many things. And I remember when we used to catch all those things. We used to catch measles, chicken pops, mumps, whooping cough, uh, scarlet fever, uh, bef- your your day you could have caught polio. Polio, and I have I'm raising two kids uh, by myself right now. I've been raising them by myself for about four or five years now. Mm-hmm. At my age, Good. it's a blessing. It's a blessing because it's it's I've had to take care of myself and stay try to stay as young as possible to keep up with these children. Absolutely, but. They haven't, they not, they don't get sick. They haven't had anything. They've had not had near one of those diseases. Mm-hmm. They've had nothing. They've caught nothing. We all caught AIDS. We've, I mean, AIDS, excuse me. God forbid. We all caught the uh, uh, COVID. I caught it first in the, in the summer. I got vaccinated though. I was vaccinated. And I caught it in the summer. Scared to death. It was a big, I was scared to death that I was going to spread the, the disease to these, to these kids. Cause I kept them in, like when we when we had the, I took them out of school early, and I kept my kids isolated for the first five months of COVID, mm-hmm. and cause I didn't I didn't want them to catch it, they couldn't get vaccinated, and I was so glad when I was able to get vaccinated, but I got vaccinated, I didn't spread it to them, so my son gets COVID about three weeks later, he doesn't spread it to us either, cause he's vaccinated at this time, mm-hmm. my daughter's vaccinated, she caught it a week ago, week or two ago also vaccinated so she didn't spread it to us we didn't catch it we're catching COVID from outside of our house absolutely and the reason why is because people everybody's not being vaccinated it's the the same thing thing, you know alan you said you know there were all of those measles and every one of those things that you've said the reason why they don't exist anymore is because we were vaccinated against them because we were that that's how they were eradicated. Ain't nobody screaming and hollering about it back then. And everyone eradicated polio. I have my little polio thing right here. Measles, but we were vaccinated. That's how it was eradicated. And now all of a sudden, people are going, oh, you know, it causes autism. Oh, this, that. And I'm sorry. I have I take no truck with it. I know this is your program and all this stuff. But I cannot, when they come up with that crap, (laughs) you know, I don't want to hear it. And the the vast amount of people who are ending up in the hospitals, seriously ill, are the unvaccinated. If you get it while you're vaccinated, you're just going to get a mild little cough. That's that's all I, that's all we, that, no, I got a little sick and and my, my, my children, they show no signs whatsoever. They, you would, like, it's, it's unbelievable. I look at them like, ain't nothing wrong with y'all, but y'all got, y'all got this, but y'all ain't, at least when I had, I, I did catch, I had one day when I was really 
in here chilling and, and every, one day. It was you just didn't one end day. Up in the hospital, you didn't end up in the no. hospital on a ventilator or something like that. You know, so that's what I have to say about you know all of that, and <laughs> you know. But I'm with you on that, and it's it's. <sighs> we don't let me let me let me say say this because it just seems like. Like you said, we were more educated. I, I I didn't I didn't know what you said about the city school. I didn't know we had some of the best schools. I don't best know why I didn't know the, that. The, that the high school at the our schools they a you know national integration. Martin Luther King wanted to get integrated, so we were integrated. New York City always had specialized high schools. Always. Okay. They, if you wanted to do anything, they still exist, but the way to get in them has become just all crazy. I don't even know how. Oh, it was kind of crazy when when I was coming up because I got I got into Bronx Science. I didn't go, but I got oh, into you, Bronx Science. You you and I had to take Bronx, a test. I had to go have to take a test. Two, and I think if you should, they're yeah. specialized high schools. You can get in, but what happened was, as always. You know, there wasn't this thing, well, I have the money to send my kids to be tutored up the wazoo to get into this high school. You know, it was really, if you were studying in 204, that's what you did, and you got into one of these specialized high schools or 126, and you know, you got into one. Now, people with money are taking their private school kids from the elementary schools in it. And then wanting them to get into Bronx and Stuyvesant and Edison and Brooklyn Tech and Performing Arts and Fashion Institute. Because if you have any desire in the world, there is a specialized aviation. I mean, you know, nursing, Julia Richmond, FIP, fashion. Yeah, you're right. You know, there's a specialized free high school free that offers the best education in that specific area. Yeah. You know, boys high for sports. Yeah. You know, yeah. they had, there was a, you know, and that was a school that- and Now that's now boys and girls. Let's say it's, now boys, it's boys and girls, and girls now. But when it was, you know, but boys high was turning out all the basketball players, yeah. stars. Yeah. yeah. So New York City was no, and then schools, you know, states around, cities around the country took those models and started having their own specialized schools but new york was the first laguardia the mayor he started all of these things all of these programs and so they still exist and they still have that excellence but they're becoming more segregated than anything in the world because of the opportunities that the wealthy can do you know, economically, we're just getting further and further apart. I'm really going to have to explore that because um, you, you're you're giving me some information that that I w didn't consider. You you're giving me something to consider that I, that I didn't consider. Yeah, but that's something else I'm I'm going to have to look in, look into. Um, we're we're pretty much done. Uh, 
I don't like to take these conversations too soon because you know people's attention spans are short. So I don't like. That's to go right. Through. I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, we could go on all night long. Yes, yes, we could. Great. And you and you hopefully you'll edit it again. But you know, down the line, let's do it again because this was you know we could talk about some other things. You know, uh, we 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 absolutely will. And you know, I'm I'm I've been meaning to do this for a lot of years. I I did one. Uh, maybe almost 10 years ago mm. and uh we, we didn't have youtube wasn't big like it is now and we didn't right. have facebook and all that so we were doing public access and we did one ah, show yeah we didn't we didn't do we didn't do anymore and and i was always saying you know i i i really want to do this and i kept on putting it off because i like in the last year, I felt like the 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 market was saturated. I felt like mm -hmm. everybody and his mama, just like with with the music business, everybody and his mama is a rapper and, and got oh. a record and, and and looking for a deal and everything. And it seems like with the podcast, same thing is going on here. It, but then again, like it, it's like reinventing the wheel. Right. Your version of it, even though everybody else may be doing it. They're not going to do it like you're going to do it. Absolutely. And when I discovered Zoom and, and realized, I, I brought a bunch, you wouldn't believe it, I brought a bunch of equipment. I got a bunch of cameras in here and switches and all kind of boom mics and stuff like that and all kind of lights and stuff like that. Because I, I have a recording studio. I'm in my house and I have a recording studio in the back, full-blown recording studio. So I was going to fix up the studio. And I didn't realize I didn't need all that. Right. All I needed was Zoom and a mic. And, and I can do this here. And and that's the beauty of what's going on right now because uh, prior to this, I always needed somebody to help me produce sure. some content. Uh, engineer, uh, a producer, and everything like that. And right now, I'm, I'm doing it all. I'm, I'm, I'm a Tyler Perry. I'm, I'm producing, directing, go. and writing. You know, this is all me. I don't need nobody's permission. I don't have to wait on nobody to do this. And then also, because of where I grew up at, there is enough people right where I grew up with to fill my uh, interview thing for the next year. Oh, absolutely. And I was so glad you reached out, Alan. I really, really am. I've enjoyed this. And I do hope that, you know, you will be able to fit it in. And I can do it again amongst all the other stars from Queensbridge, you know. Well, we, we will definitely do it again. Or what do they call a meta piece, meta world? Yeah, piece? meta world piece. Ron, artist, he gets mad because I still call him Ron. <laughs> Me, come, you know, it's funny you would bring him up, and I was talking about the music thing because early on, we kind of had a little feud over artists. He he kind of took one of my artists that I had in the beginning oh. when I started the music business, and I was trying to talk to him and say we need to work together. We shouldn't be fighting, you know, battling each other. We should be working together, but. I guess, you know, at that time he was starting his basketball career. He was that dude and everything like that. I'm nobody, you know, I don't really have a track record or nothing. So he was like, yeah, whatever, you know, mm -hmm. I, I got this. I, I don't really need your help. But guess what? It didn't go nowhere. So maybe you did need my help. Maybe if you had worked with me, maybe we both would be a lot further on than we are. Maybe. Who knows? But that being said, that's one of the issues, too, is that they always talk about the black agenda. Mm -hmm. The fact is, we have too many agendas. If we all got on one agenda, maybe we could get a lot more done. We have too many agendas. Everybody's doing their own thing instead of everybody coming together and working together. And that's what's going on in Queensbridge, too. Because I'm about to interview the last 
president of the Queensbridge Association, and you wouldn't believe the intrigue that was involved with the new election and the new president. You wouldn't believe the intrigue there was for the uh, uh, Queensbridge Tennis Association president. You wouldn't believe the intrigue I'm that was. Sure. You, sure. you wouldn't believe it. it it's, it's unbelievable. And, and right now, um, April, you might know April, April Simpson. Uh, she was the head of she and, and she done a very good job because she really made Queensbridge known. Like she's well, she rings bells. I, I mentioned her name anywhere in the city. They know who I'm talking about. Sure. And that's that's amazing. You know, she's just a, a young, you know, girl from Queensbridge that, that runs a tennis association there, but she's made herself so well known and connected with so many of the right people that she has clout that, that these people wouldn't even understand. And didn't, didn't the president just come here and go to Queensbridge? I mean, you know Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. I mean The mayor's been here. Nobody nobody comes to New York. Nobody if they trying to go to black people. And trying to trying to they come to Queensbridge. That's they right. come, they make sure uh uh what's Hillary was here, not not Hillary, um no Hil I think Hillary did come here. Real well, quick on some some sneak something and then um that uh the whitehead dude, the real progressive dude uh, that they call a communist. I can't think of his name right now. He came here. But the thing that they do is they come here, they go to River Park. And ain't nothing but white people at the event. They don't. They don't invite the black. They don't invite the people from the project. Mm -hmm. And and we, you know, we had a real we had a real itch, issue with that. And uh, she addressed that many times. She she was very outspoken and addressed it many times. And I I need to interview her because I need to hear all this intrigue that was going on. That you know, come on, dude. The uh, tennis association president is that was it really that serious? <laughs> <laughs> Well, what, what, thirty thousand people in Queensbridge. I used to tell, look, I used to tell people, I used to tell people when I was down south. I say, yo, this, yo, this little town. I said, I, I lived in a project that had more people in it than this little town. That's said, right, pulled up town. Yo, 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 win the magic. But it was so good talking to you. Um, oh, great! And seeing you, seeing you, because the last time I think I saw you was at your mother's funeral. Yeah, I think that's the last time I saw you in person. Mm -hmm. Or well, I might have caught you after that at one of the. Did you? Oh, maybe what? at one of the reunions. No, but the last re I took my I took my mother to the last reunion that I that I went to, I think. Yeah. You said Rick Ricardellos. Yeah, uh, Ricardos. 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 You know his clothes. I know. They didn't survive the pandemic. I drive, I, go, I drive down 29th Avenue to get on the drive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's. That's kind of a, a sad thing, kind of a sad thing. Okay. But look, I, I, I really enjoyed talking to you, and, and thanks for doing this interview with me. And, uh, you know, um, great talking to you. And we'll do it again. We'll, okay. We will definitely do it again. So I until then, you take care of yourself and, 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 and be blessed. I know you are blessed because of the things that you've done in your life. Be blessed, and, and we will speak again. Perfect. Okie dokie. All right. Take it easy. I'm going to sign off. You have a good night. Okay, great. Bye-bye.